Welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. Please welcome back 510, Henry Schwartz, SIBO Global Markets' head of product intelligence. Henry, you hanging in there, buddy? Uh, oh, I am, Patrick. Thank you. It's it's been a it's been a heck of a heck of a year, and it's only uh, February. Yeah, it's. Did you ever think when we did a pre-election volatility episode that we'd be talking about GameStop? Two months later, no. I thought I thought whatever happened, you know, that that we'd get over the hump of the election and, and things would just settle down. But nothing settled down. I think more has gotten kind of stirred up in the, you know the first month of the year, and it's it's great. But I, I don't, I'm exhausted. Whew, yeah, you're you're telling me. Well, in general, stocks tend to post gains during periods of transition to a new U.S. administration. Uh, within these transition periods between incoming and outgoing U.S. presidents, stock market performance tends to become more dependent on the economic cycle rather than the actual election results. But I want to at least start with some context first. How have markets fared following previous presidential elections? And historically, how have stocks performed in a new president's first few months on the job? Uh, sure. So I, I, I dug up some data because it's, it's really interesting. You know, a lot of, uh, us kind of coming from the pure options side are, are, you know, it's, it's ingrained in your training that there's a normal distribution and there's a random walk, which means that, you know, there, there shouldn't really be these timing effects, uh, around elections or around months or even around days of the week. Uh, but there are, right. And so, um, you know, I pulled up the uh, the SPX and, and actually SPX and VIX uh, over the last three or four election cycles uh, to see kind of how things played out. And, and you know, November and December uh, they tend to be good mar- good months for the market in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, elections kind of bring a lot more into that mix. But um, but over the last uh, I think the last eight election cycles, I was able to look at. Uh, you see, um, you see, you see generally good performance, I think, except for following 2000. And, and, um, you know, and that was the dot com bubble bursting there. But over the last three elections, you know, I think, I think every year has been up more than 20% on the S&P. And then I drilled down into, you know, specifically what we, you know, what we were talking about, you know, November, December, January, like, you know, right in the midst of where we are right now. Um, and in general, um, you know, what I saw is November tends to be a little bit of kind of a waffly month historically, you know, especially, um, I think in 2012, we were down, uh, in 2016, we were down in November, but then December and January, things, things kind of popped back into positive. And that was true for, I think the last three, uh, the last three election cycles. So, you know, and then with that, you know, as you kind of expect, if you get a couple months of two or three percent returns, you know, volatility uh, tends to come out. And so, uh, you know, after 2016, even though that, you know, that was that was uh, a surprising election for for a lot of people, uh, you know, we, we had, if you remember, like watching election night, uh, you know, when Trump won, the futures sold off, 
you know, huge, like you know, three and a half, four percent, and then it all flipped around, and we were up by the morning. You know, looking at um, you know December and January tend to be pretty strong, and that's that's kind of what we're seeing now. So, uh, and then there there are factors of you know whether or not you have one party in control of uh, you know the presidency and Congress and all that uh, that tends to help. So, kind of where we are right now with a um, you know one party in control. Uh, is is actually kind of the best scenario for the market and you know we're seeing you know we're seeing it kind of you know play out in front of us yeah and i think after the november election we a, a new scheduled event was seemingly created the january 6th georgia runoff election so that is like it's almost a unscheduled scheduled event and i feel like that plus the insurrection at the capitol that happened in the, in the ensuing weeks through everything into disarray uh, but can you explain to listeners the type of month that wall street just endured and it's funny i look back at our older episodes and you made a couple comments that proved prophetic about volatility saying like you know it really hope it just chills out after the election one other time you're like hopefully in the rear view mirror yeah well the, the the chill out definitely has not happened yet uh you know people have been looking for it you know we saw um you know i think one of the reasons i mentioned that is because you know right into um you know late october basically we saw some big directional trades in vix uh in vix options where they were buying these put spreads or ratio put spreads that basically would make uh, 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 you know, I think it was 20 to 40 million bucks if volatility finally cracked below 20, you know, really headed back down to, you know, that kind of long term average, uh, that's, you know, in the, in the 15 to 18 range. And, um, so, you know, that was a very kind of, um, you know, bullish or optimistic view on things coming back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also saw some, we, we also saw volatility kind of holding, you know, especially right into the election. Uh, you know, and, and Ty Ball, you know, uh, spent all of last year, you know, after, after topping out in, in, in the 82% range, which was a new record. Uh, it's, it's taken months and months and it's barely, uh, even approached 20. And now we're, you know, we went into the election around 30. And, uh, even though, you know, that, that actually turned out, to be more uh, of a stable outcome than some people were worried about. Uh, you know, there has been, there's been plenty of these catalysts uh, to keep people, you know, I guess a little bit uh, on edge as far as, you know, we're not quite out of the woods yet. Obviously, you know, COVID is, is still a big issue. You know, it's, it's kind of seems like things are, are on, on track to, to have that be completed someday. But, um, you know, we, we still see a lot of uh, a lot of things to be concerned about. And then, you know, events in Washington on January 6th was a big deal. And it was really interesting to see, you know, I mean, I was watching the market super closely that day and watching, you know, the, the coverage of it. And I remember seeing, you know, the, the market weirdly uh, did not react uh, like, you know, you, you kind of you know, sometimes you see a disaster taking place and, you know, you'll see a really sharp sell off. Everybody gets scared, mm-hmm. which is pretty normal. Uh, you know, we were up 2% or over 2% that day. And then, you know, things started to unfold and the markets sold off a little, but, 
you know, basically, I think we, we slid back about a percent. You know, you didn't see an explosion in volatility, uh, which, you know, was really interesting. I mean, a lot of people were like, well, that's, you know, how can, how can that be? And, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I think that as major as that event was, you know, the, the market is, is focused on, you know, kind of the current situation, which, you know, we're, we're, we're in a severely kind of, you know, hampered economy because of COVID, but then you have all this stimulus and you have, you know, the Fed, you know, you know, basically saying we're going to make, you know, money easy for a long, long time. So those bigger currents, I think, are, are kind of what's, uh, what's driving, you know, traders and investors. And there's a lot of capital and, and it's, it's flowing. It, it needs a place to needs a place to land, and you know, in general, that's why you're seeing pretty solid performance uh, on almost all assets. Do you think if you remove the context of the pandemic and a new administration, if if something like the the capital insurrection occurred uh, as a, as a more isolated incident, it was of course connected in the fabric of a lot of other components of life. Do you think that then would have created? So much um, that would have resulted in a spike of volatility, or are we? And basically, are we just so numb to these events that continue to transpire that it, they're really just not registering? Uh, I mean, I don't know if we're if, if the market doesn't care, but the market, you know, my market adapts to incoming information, and you know, in, in slow times, you know, something out of the blue can can scare everybody. But you know, the, the way things have gone for the last year, when you've had you know, basically crisis after crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that we're not, we're not numb to it, but, uh, the market's not, not that concerned about some of these individual events, uh, which, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, we're, we're, we're the market was pretty quick to you know, kind of identify that as a, a one-off, which, you know, or, or, you know, the market, the market definitely you know, can shrug off a one-off event because mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it could be a horrible situation, but the market is basically saying, well, that happened. And, uh, what do things look like two years down the road? And that's, you know, I, I think that's the dynamics going on. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. So when, when we look at these huge events that we continue to live through, have you, how have you observed ways in which market participants are managing their risk or generating alpha? Uh, I know unscheduled events was a big component of our previous episodes. Uh, right. I mean, you know, it, it's it's the, the way that last year played out, and it's everything is continuing. Uh, is you know we we we've seen a big um, shuffle of you know in the kind of the the health of of different stocks, and you know you you at the beginning you had this this rush into the you know the new online economy. Uh, type of stocks, right? Peloton and, mm-hmm. and, um, Amazon and everything else. Uh, Zoom. you know, and all the, you know, and obviously these companies that were, that were going to have a really rough period, airlines and, you know, cruise lines and everything else, you know, took, you know, got, took a beating. And that, you know, th- that kind of cycle of, of like, okay, we need, you know, you need to look at companies through a different lens, basically. It's like, is this a healthy company in general? Is this a healthy company given the current situation? Is this a healthy company? What's it look like, you know, if, if you know, as COVID goes away uh, and, you know, and people start, you know, traveling more or whatever. So, you know, it's been an incredible time for, you know, stock pickers and, you know, people that can kind of anticipate where the, the focus is going to be and, you know, where you're going to see, 
you know, solid earnings, solid performance. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a wild, you know, wild ride. I mean, that, that takes a lot of work and thought a lot more than, you know, usual, right? You, you could usually look at a company and talk look at their earnings growth and prospects for their business and try to make a judgment. Um, you know, a lot of that's gotten completely, you know, shuffled up, uh, you know, even into the, you know, some of the recent, you know, crazy short squeeze type of things, mm-hmm. you know, that we're seeing, um, you know, that's, that's its own funky dynamic. And, you know, there's, there's, People need to be able to make sense of it. And I guess, uh, you know, on the options side, you know, there's trades to take advantage of it or there's just trades to, to protect yourself. Um, you know, and that, that's what I've, I've found really interesting is, you know, when you see big moves, you know, you know, some stock makes the 20% run or volatility moves 15 or 20% or, or a hundred percent. As an options trader, you want to look at that and say, okay, okay, now what are we looking at here? We're looking at a high vol, you know, scenario, maybe the, the put cost skewness has, has, you know, flipped. Like what kind of trades make sense? What kind of trades illustrate your view of how things are going to play out? And, you know, then, then, you know, you know, you know, you have to kind of, you know, construct everything within your, your framework of risk and reward. And th- that's what I, you know, people talk to me about is there's, you know, there's just a lot of interest. There's sector rotation, there's mm-hmm. stock picking. And then there's still, you know, there's still people that are kind of trying to do things that from a, you know, a higher level, right? And, you know, the, the index trading, you know, premium harvesters or, you know, people that, that express their view on that side of things. Um, you know, so it's funny. It's like there's things that still work that people are still doing and, and, you know, they basically just have to make sure they don't get kind of knocked off track, uh, when you get, you know, some of these funky situations or, you know, two or 3% swings. And so it's, I mean, it's, I, you know, it's, it's kind of never been a more interesting time. And, you know, I've done this forever and, um, volume is, is off the charts. So there's a ton of activity to look at. And there's a lot of motion, you know, there's a lot of things are changing, right? Volatilities are moving around, you know, more than they have been in a long time. Uh, and, you know, you're just, it's, it's in a way, you know, that in the last kind of, in the last few years, the market kind of, you know, as much as it, it was a surprise to some people, the way that, you know, politics played out, the market still kind of developed a level of comfort with it. Uh, and then you got into COVID and then that shook everything up. And now we're, you know, hopefully, you know, towards the end of that and you're into a whole new political realm so it's just there's just a lot to process yeah one one thing i that will remain a constant i believe is the volume i think the volume is here to stay like what what, what's your estimate as far as for 2021 uh yeah we we when we looked at the data in early 2020 uh right you know kind of into march right when when things were crazy and volume had exploded uh, you know, we looked at it and said, this could be a 7 billion contract year. And, and, you know, remember the prior record was five and a 5.2 billion mm-hmm. set in 2018. And we finished up at 7.47 billion. Okay. Brand new record, like, you know, the kind of activity that, that really nobody's seen. And what's interesting is it, it, it persisted through the year, right? It was not just we got really busy for the first quarter and then the rest of the year was normal. Uh, it stayed busy. And in fact, December was the busiest month of the year with average daily volume, you know, around 30, over 30 million contracts. And then January was even busier than that. January was 40 million contracts a day, which puts us on track now for a 10 billion contract year, which 
I think would be a stretch. I, I, I think if we, if we're going to stay that busy for the entire year, then this will be my last year in the business because I can barely keep up with it. But retail access to the market, which really picked up last year, and you know, we, we analyzed it a whole bunch of different ways. And one of the simplest ways that, that we like to look at it is like, let's just look at tiny trades and figure out how many of those there are because those tend to be your, your small accounts. And in the, in, in a framework of just looking at one lot trades, the smallest possible contract, we saw that activity triple last year, you know, from like under a million contracts a day of one lots to almost three million contracts a day of one lots. And that's, that's an enormous amount of new activity, you know, and that's not, that's not capturing all the retail. That's just capturing the kind of the tiniest piece of it. Uh, and we continue to see that. And, you know, that's, that's one of the wildest things is, you know, it's, it's, Seeing new new participants coming into this market, you know, if they're coming in because they've you know been had a year working from home, and because you know the the you know zero cost brokerage accounts make it uh, a little easier to you know to break even on a trade, mm-hmm. uh, that's great. But you know, th- it's they're obviously doing pretty well because that volume just keeps on coming and. You know, I don't, I don't see that changing. I mean, it, it may, it may, it may morph a little bit if, you know, this bull market gets tired because in general, you know, a lot of this retail, uh, small trade flow is in the form of call buyers and they've done well because we're up, you know, 50% from the bottom in yeah. March. As, you know, if the market really stalls out and we run into, you know, more headwinds, so those trades aren't going to make money, right? So the question will be like, okay, how do the how does retail, how does that segment adapt to a different market condition, right? I mean, you you guys know there's different trades you want to do on a sideways market. There's different trades you want to do on a down market, and you know, have, has retail, you know, has this segment figured out how to make money in a sideways market? Some of them have, I'm, I'm sure of that, but some of them haven't, and some of them and, will, will. But on that note. What are some specific, you know, pretend like you are talking to these people who are coming to you upset, like, well, I, you know, I thought stocks only go up. Like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> you know, what would you tell them? I mean, I, I think it's funny. I, I'm, I'm, I, this year, like, no, I, I can tell you that the retail segment has grown because I've personally gotten emails and texts from friends and, and friends that like the grown children of friends saying, Hey, I've just started option trading. And what do you think about calls in X, Y, Z? And I, I, I get those texts. And I'm like, Oh man, Oh man. Mm-hmm. Like this is somebody who's never even traded stock before. And they're just going to jump right into the options. And I, the, the, my one message is there's no secret formula to making crazy returns and, and people have to be realistic. And in fact, I was talking to a professor at, and, I was giving him some data and I said, you know, how, how is it? And he said, well, you know, it's a challenge to be teaching investment theory and diversification and how, you know, um, you know, the, you know, index, you know, S and P returns on average are, you know, eight or 9% a year on the long term. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you use that as kind of like your lens, like, okay, you know what? If you can make 10% a year on a, on an investment, you know, that's pretty good. There's a little risk there. He's like, the problem is, is, you know, some, some student will put up their hand and say, Hey, my, my cousin just made 300% on, you know, (laughs) on this SPAC. And 
how, you know, what about those? And um, so my message for people that are new or learning the business is uh, be realistic. Put your money in the bank and you will get you know, 0.1% interest. So that's, you know, that, that's one extreme. And, you know, realize how good it is to make 10 or 15% in a trading strategy compared to what you would be getting on a, uh, you know, on a risk-free, you know, bank account. Right. And what I find fascinating is I found some old magazines from Think Money. Now, I don't subscribe to Think Money, but I guess we as Schaefer's did from fall of 2008. And I'm just flipping through and I came across a quote that said, rookies look for some magic bolt that that will turn any loser into a winner. Sorry, folks, it doesn't exist. And that was fall of 2008. I mean, it's crucial. Like, you know, trading is is fun, um, <laughs> but, you know, it needs to be approached. You know, people need to be very smart about how they manage their money. And every trade has a risk and a reward. And if you think about it that way, and you got to you have to have a plan and there's, you know, you have to you have to size your bets you know, accordingly and intelligently and like the, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, you know, the emotional part, the psychological part is it's, it's a tough business. And that's why most people struggle. And, you know, if, if a bunch of option traders and you know, by a bunch, I mean hundreds of thousands of new accounts over the last year have gotten into options and had some success and figured out how to make some money that's awesome but it you better you, you have to be able to tell luck from uh some intelligent you know strategy and not you know not fall into so many of the trap traps that that people fall into in terms of um making trades learn to use the tools i guess is is you know the, the most important thing you know they're, they're incredibly flexible options let you position yourself and limit risk and specify a time horizon and trade volatility and direction and time decay and everything else. Uh, but you, but you got to figure out how to handle all those little pieces of that puzzle. And, you know, some of the recent, you know, the GameStop type of activity we've seen, you know, the last few weeks, like that's an incredible learning experience for like how things can go and what bizarro outliers you know, can volatility go to 600, 700, 800? Well, it sure can. <laughs> doesn't happen very often, but you just seen to <laughs> never say never. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, what's been, you know, really kind of amazing. And, you know, for the, the, you know, self-directed retail trading, you know, community out there, uh, you know, I think options are, you know, derivatives are kind of like a chainsaw, like credible tool. It can do a lot. You know, you just don't want to drop it on your leg. I like that. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? Don't drop the chainsaw on your leg. That's that's why you come to the market mashup for solid parables like that. Let's close with, uh, do, do you have anything you'd like, products you'd like to plug that's that are going on at SIBO right now? Uh, I'll give you the floor. I mean, we have, we've been so busy, uh, you know, on, on, you know, the in information solutions group, which is my area, right? That's. That's Trade Alert. That's Live Vol. That's FT Options. Hanwick. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're we're putting together. We have amazing technology. We're we're actually weaving the technologies together to even make it better. Uh, a couple things, like I would point out, like we now are are um, doing much more with handling flex options, which are these options where the the user gets to specify the the strike and the expiration, and it could be anything that you want. I think out to eight or nine years. Wow. Uh, 
they're they're typically an institutional tool, but because we're 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 really focusing on that data, um, it, you'd be surprised how many small trades are actually taking place in these in these flex options. Um, and then, I mean, this last year was the year of single stocks for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the shift we saw in you know, single stocks and retail trading and small retail, retail trading. That was the story. But, you know, the, um, the index in the ETF world is still healthy. Like there was growth there. It just wasn't, didn't match what the single stocks did. But, you know, SIBO has, has SPX, which is the S&P 500, the benchmark, you know, you know, a trillion dollars a day in premium can trade in SPX. But then there's also this XSP, which is that same cash settled European style index uh, divided by 10. Yep. And so it's it's very similar to SPY, except it's cash settled. You don't have to worry about dividend exercises. Uh, it's got some other advantages. And it's it's something that, you know, like I said, the you know single stock alpha, there's all sorts of activity there, a lot of focus on that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, some of these uh, kind of higher level trades, you know, you know, skew trades, you know, put spreads, call spreads, just, um, you know, collaring uh, are doable. And they're doable, you know, in a smaller scale using, you know, XSP. SIBO um, also, also launched Minivix Futures. So, it's a pretty sophisticated tool, but uh, the notional size of the smaller contracts makes it a little bit of a better fit for something like, you know, a typical portfolio. And it's something for people to look at because, you know, volatility has been, um, you know, last year it, it, it was it saw some real extreme moves. And, you know, you can look at it now and say, okay, well, you know, VIX hanging around, you know, 23, 24 is that, um, you know, how do you feel about that over the next, you know, three months, six months? Uh, or a year and, you know, fixed futures let you, du- you know, make a direct position on, you know, on volatility, uh, which fits some people. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a great way to, uh, to account for, you know, these unscheduled events. Yeah. I mean, it's, you guys got a lot of exciting stuff. I, I, uh, couldn't thank you enough for coming back on for the third time. You now are, you lead the league in guest appearances. Really? Yeah. Well, that's, you- so that's you, cool. Well, that that's awesome. someday I'll come to Ohio and visit. There you go. Yeah, uh, round of golf's on me, or some skyline chili. I guess. I mean, that's really all Cincinnati has to offer. Right? Is, that, is that the chili on the spaghetti or something? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I I don't subscribe to that. And first of all, I grew up when chili was supposed to be thick. I've uh, I've transitioned to enjoying the soup chili, but I I, I cannot do this the spaghetti. But a coney uh, a coney is pretty strong. I will admit. Okay, well I'll, I'll check it out. Sounds good. Sounds good. Henry Schwartz, Cbo's Global Markets Head of Product Intelligence. Thanks again for coming on. <laughs> six months. That's that's every six months you can just pop on and we can talk about right. what on earth just happened. I'll see you in the fall. All right, sounds good. Cheers.